What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. Asian Bitches Done Under, a podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diasporas in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show via Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a five star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hey, y'all, this is Jessie. <laughs> uh, this is Helen. And we are Asian Bitches Down Under. Yes, I am Jessie too. I just have a miserable flu, cold, tonsillitis cocktail. A cocktail of, <laughs> of everything. Of everything. Except that, for COVID. Everything but, everything but COVID for some weird reason, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's really bullshit. It's weird because, like, I really am feeling it all, uh-huh. the whole conglomerate of symptoms, but it's not COVID. And I've checked because I've done a PCR test. Yeah. And uh, apparently they're pretty reliable, so. But, yeah, it's it's probably... I've never felt so decimated. Oh, Ellen, my God. Um, as an adult, honestly. I, uh-huh. um, it started earlier this week, and I thought it was just tonsillitis. But then yesterday it kind of graduated into something much more severe because I went for a walk and it was very windy mm-hmm. so maybe that could be part of it yeah you just, just worsened it and it, honestly it. yeah I just like my whole nose was blocked I was blo- like sneezing and oh my god uh-huh. maybe yeah. you should do another test now I sound like a man yeah no, I was actually thinking um, yeah. I should do another test because sometimes the first two days they don't show up <clears throat> for maybe. some people but I was yeah. already getting pretty bad symptoms on Tuesday when I got the test so mm-hmm. Or just yeah. isolate and yourself at home yeah, exactly. for the next few yeah. days. I have no, like, fever. I have no headaches, thank God. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm glad about the headache thing because I just cannot stand headaches. Yeah, that's understandable. It just it kind of dissipates, you know, de- decapitate your emotion and mental part of oh functioning <laughs> when oh you God, have a headache. so bad. I have to say, um, the worst is in the evening, like, when I'm trying to sleep. Oh, yeah. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I've been, I've been getting, like, three hours sleeps for the last four or five days. Oh. But anyway, um, in, the, in, in good news, uh, cultural consumption-wise, I've been doing a lot. Uh, okay. Like, last night, I watched the entire no I don't actually know how many seasons how many um, episodes in the first season but it is of course the Disney Plus um, uh, series that everyone's talking about only murders in the building uh-huh. starring yeah. Martin Short um, Steve, Steve Martin, Martin and uh, Selena. Selena Gomez yeah. I mean it's a tre- tremendous tremendous casting mm-hmm. and um, I started watching it yesterday the first season and I binged nine episodes in oh one night oh my god it's an hour uh, episode, aren't they? No, they're like around 30 to 35 oh, minutes. Oh, are they? Okay. So, yeah, I've started the first one. Yeah, so yeah. by 1am, Helen, I was trying to work out, like, what's 9 times 30? Like, how many hours <laughs> of my life have I just, like, <laughs> dedicated to this show? And But, like, you know, it doesn't feel like... what What is 9 times 30? How uh, many hours did I spend? No, it's Six two, hours? 270 hours? minutes. Yeah, that's not yeah, bad. Four, Still, like, shorter than Martin hours, yeah. Scorsese's film from a few years ago, which was, like, <laughs> apparently four, four, four hours. But um, I thought it was just, like, reading a novel. Mm. That's what it felt like. Okay. But, yeah. So the writing yeah, we was well into, done, the script. Yeah, I mean, we, I, 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 since we're on the subject, I, I guess I'll launch into talking about it first Yeah, of up. course. Um, it's, it's really interesting because it's, like, a show that's kind of, like, very meta. So it's about these three people who start off they witness a murder. It's based in New York. And they're strangers in a very fancy building in mm-hmm. New York somewhere, in mm-hmm. Manhattan. The only thing that, they're, um, have in that common. they have in common is that they're obsessed with true crime podcasts, mm-hmm. and especially one um, called uh, something about OK in Oklahoma. And the host of that um, podcast is later revealed to be Tina Fey. She doesn't mm-hmm. play a massive role in the first season. But she's a narrator. Um, yeah, she's yeah, the narrator. narrator of the podcast. And like, yeah. um, what actually ends up happening, Helen, is that every episode plays out like a podcast in itself. Yes. So it's almost like it begins to feel like a, a TV series that's based on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Which has been happening quite often the last oh, two years. yes, absolutely. Like yeah. The Staircase, for instance, I yeah. think. Or was that the and other also one? And also The, the Dropout. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. The Dropout, um, the podcast was the source material for mm-hmm. the um, Amanda Seyfried, uh series, that's true. 
Uh, it was just so interesting because, like, they're these three strangers who become really um, – basically, they start their own podcast about, it, um, <laughs> about like, a murder in their building. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then um, what's so – I have a lot to say about it, but generally what I love, absolutely love about this show is that in the first – episode or two you see very clearly that three these three strangers are in their specific unique way very lonely people like mm. they're very isolated from the world they're um they're not partnered up they live alone um and they have they're all running away from sort of like secretive past mm-hmm. but then by episode eight or nine like they have they they have a group of friends like all of them like they have a community of people in their apartment trying to solve this one murder mystery. I see. I feel like um I was able to see that because I watched it in all all, all the way from the beginning to almost the end of the season in mm-hmm. one night. And so mm-hmm. it was very clear that from the beginning, you you know there was this like trajectory, very clear trajectory from like being alone and um, experiencing loneliness to finding a community that was outside of like um marriage or like heterosexual partnerships yeah like and a, also uh, age as well yeah i think there's differences of you know age because when you first mm. see like two old white men it's very hard to imagine that there's a friendship bridge between the white man and selena gomez's character which is what she's in like late 20s so i found it interesting at the very beginning you see that the three of them the only common commonality was the true crime or the fictional crime podcast but they had you know sort of differences in their age you don't really think that they will be a friendship building up from there yeah 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 it was such a great combination like even that combination mm. in itself um too straight they're apparently straight Martin Shaw comes off as queer but he's apparently straight in the in the series um, two straight uh, mm-hmm. guys. One works in theatre. I, I don't actually... Martin... I mean, Steve Martin is an ex-actor. Like, um, they keep go- going mm-hmm. off on this joke about him being Brazos. He used to be a very famous, like, the detector. Big shot. Yeah. Uh, like, kind of like NCIS kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. And then Selena Gomez is, like, a, a listless, wavering... Um, secluded artist and so that combination itself like you said helen is very unusual but like what happens mm-hmm. very quickly throughout the episodes is that um they become very close um just by sheer proximity of the time that they spend together they they begin to care about each other and, and because they're but all three of them are so deeply sympathetic they're all dealing with their own issues like selene gomez is trying to find who killed her best friend from 10 years ago um, and oh, okay, so there's personal experience. Yeah, and Martin Short yes. is trying to recover from like um, this awful thing that happened that meant that his son was forever kind of like, um, uh, kind of he always leans on his son for money. Um, he has like financial debt issues, and then um, Steve Martin cannot have a relationship because he's been like injured in the past. So like all of them are have their own private mm. agonies. Um, but it's such a, it's mm-hmm. just like, I, I really want you to, I hope that you keep watching it, Helen, because it's just so, um, yeah, we, we it's will such be. a beautiful kind of, but like the, le- the sort of like the different kind of, um, like some parts of it, um, feel like a bit Charlie Kaufman-esque or like that movie Chicago. Oh no, no, not that movie Chicago, the mm-hmm. movie Nine. Often you have Martin, uh, Martin Short's character will imagine a th- what it's like to like imagine the situation they're in um and um Mm -hmm. play it out in his head like he was auditioning like he was trying to cast people Mm -hmm. for his because he used to be a hot shot theater maker and um i won't spoil for you but just i already i probably have already spoiled too much for you (laughs) but there's one episode i believe it's episode seven or eight where like entire episode is in asl like it's um, oh, I think it's ASL, okay. American Sign Language, um, where because one of the characters, he's um, deaf, and so, like, the whole episode is silent. It's completely silent. It is oh, absolutely really? amazing. It is so amazing to watch. It was so, oh, uh, nice. such an experience, and I'm sure that other people have done it before, but I, I had never come across it. Yeah, there's a movie that was quite popular in the Academy Oh, Coda. What's that movie? Yeah, but Coda, it's the whole thing right. in yeah. um, silence. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that people... 90%. Oh, really? I think 90% was oh. in sign language because the characters in there was needed to sign, so... Yeah, it was... Yeah, okay, exciting. that's interesting. Something yeah. different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so that, that, I guess, is my major recommendation this week. There's another show I want to touch on, mm-hmm. but first of all, what would you recommend this week? 
I've got a list that I've gone through the past two weeks. Um, catching up, um, I finally finished Joan. Um, oh, yes. A reimagined fiction of Joan of the Lark written by Catherine K. Chen. Um, it's such an amazing work. I think there's some sort of some influence by George R. R. Martin. Oh. Like, it's sort of like a medieval epic battles combined with a lot of like human tenderness. Of course, we're talking about a female character. Um, her writing is very emotionally expressive, um, especially about Joan's sister, her relationship with her sister and the dog. I can never get over the dog. Um, it's such a sublime work. I think it should be adapted into a TV. Oh, movie. excellent. How exciting. Yeah. Very, very good writing. Yeah. Um, I've started reading Tomi Obara's Delhi Wet's Destiny. I think, I believe this is one of the books that you gave me last mm-hmm. time as well. It's about three Nigerian women's oh, yeah. um, story. Mm-hmm. Um, when the, 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 the book started with when they graduated from uni, there's like a small snippet uh-huh. of them getting together for graduation. And the timeline jumps like maybe 20 years uh-huh. after that they went on their own ways into their own different lives. And now they're getting together again after 20 or 25 years that one of the woman's daughters is mm-hmm. getting married. And I just love the culture references in this sort of novels because there's even though that we're not Africans, uh, you know, but I always feel that there's a certain connection, mm. especially on cultural references, when there's a part uh, in early on on the uh, novel, early on in the novel that it says that how we, how the African ethnicities will refer to someone who is elder auntie mm. or uncle. Which what which is what we Asians do a lot of time as well, and then they the writer wrote uh, the comparison of the character's white partner often thought that was really weird right. because you don't have any blood connection to that yeah. person you know even if it's a neighbor or your mom's best friend um, you call her auntie yeah and it's just the sort of differences the nuance the cultural nuance that I I feel like. There's a bit of yeah, similarity. Yeah, to Chinese culture. Yeah, with yeah, the Asian. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, media, TV-wise, we finished Umbrella Academy, something that Jess doesn't really like. Uh, season three. Yeah. Uh, so it's a sci-fi. Wait, I've never even seen it. I think I don't like it because um, perhaps someone from the pilot club um, said it wasn't very good. <laughs> I don't actually remember, but I'm pretty sure Billy and Drew have reviewed it for the pilot club but I I just like to watch it for the sake of entertainment Uh and on the season three there's like it comes up to like a dysfunctional family sort of they're having their own counseling session so the first um couple episodes in season three really Mm -hmm. dragged out um it's there's a lot of miscommunication within the family there's a lot of assumptions of each other I feel like that's a really normal theme for many dysfunctional family. But what I want to point out in up to now, the season three, despite that how I love Umbrella Academy, it's still a very white-centric yeah. story, yeah, obviously. Yeah, surprised. And this, even we have um, POC characters in it, the scripts written for um, the black woman, the Asian character, and also the Latino character, they all make them look really Ugh. bad. In the sense that they, the personality that they created for yeah. these POC characters are almost as if they are always angry. Ugh. They're always hot-tempered. Yeah, yeah. And it's a very strong contrast to the rest of the white characters in um, Umbrella Academy. Yeah. That whereas the white characters are always seem composed, level-headed, unruffled, and knowing how to control the anger. Yeah. So that's something that I really don't like. Even though there's a bit of queerness, uh, the music is very well done, but that's just something that I don't like about the script. Yeah. yeah. I just want to iterate, um, that wasn't a fart that I did, it was I was moving a chair. <laughs> I was moving a chair, okay, guys? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I could watch that, just to see. So I don't like, think it's your thing. Ugh. Yeah. It's not and I also thing. just, I'm so not a, um, I'm so not a superhero slash any kind of superpower genre fan mm. uh, just that that kind of trope just doesn't do it for me i'm just mm. like oh this is an allegory for racism or marginalization or discrimination i'm like ugh, ugh. i'm just yeah. <laughs> u-r-g-h u-r-g-h <laughs> um 
but I mean, it's very popular, so you know, a lot of people yeah, are watching it. Um, yeah. So um, it must be like a lot of people tell me to watch Stranger Things. Oh, I, I don't know anyone who's not watching Stranger Things. It's so annoying. I might try to watch yeah. that again. I watched what, the first twenty what, minutes what of the with, first what, season. Yeah, why is pe- why are people so obsessed with Stranger Things? I don't get it. What is it about? I think it's just a uh, kind of the strangeness of the unknown. Yeah, uncanny. Yeah, the sort of suspense that you create, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> well, like, it's a, it doesn't it, isn't it centered on a couple of teenagers? It's a teenager. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, usually, I, I, didn't, I couldn't get it. I don't understand it the right. first 20 minutes. Okay. Well, usually, yeah, I, do, I really like teenage stories. Like, for instance, mm-hmm. um, this mm-hmm. is a good segue. I wanted to talk to Helen about Boo Bitch, which yes. is a new okay. um, Netflix limited series um, starring Lena... Len. Lena? Lena. Condor? Condor? Is that how yep. you say her name? Lena? Lena? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, she obviously is the um, Asian, Vietnamese American famous for To All the Boys I've Ever Loved. Who played in <laughs> Korean American. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I was really excited about this. Like, I remember seeing mm. the trailer for it a few weeks ago and being yeah, really excited fun. because it looked really fun. And it's the premises that are uh, sort of like a nobody, uh, a teenage nobody dies and she comes back um, still with her body. Um, but uh, but when I watched it, I was like, I, I went through, I got to the end of the first episode and then I'm halfway through the second, uh-huh. uh, I think. And I just like, I've decided um, it's not interesting enough to keep watching. Oh, it's seriously okay. not. It's so, It was so like... Um, I was, there are a lot of reasons I just am such a hard out. Um, first of all, I think the guy's not hot enough. <laughs> um, the main character, Jake C, his name's Jake C, the girl, the guy that Oh my god, it's so on. stupid. I got so confused the first yeah. episode. Jake Seriously. W, Jake C, Jake, like there's a lot of Jakes. There's like at least three Jakes. Yeah. And I was thinking they all look the exactly the same. same. Yeah, I know, no, no. There's definitely a look. I mean, like, there's a look for every teenage generation um, portrayal. I wonder if that's, you know? like, trying to be purposely making a sarcastic remark yeah. out of it. Yeah, I mean, they all look the same. Like, Noah Centario, I think is how you say it. And um, Jacob Elloridi. Um, they all have the kind of very similar look. Um, I mean, uh, this, this week I watched um, with Billy um, The Perfect Man, from 2005, mm-hmm. which is a Hilary Duff movie, and we really loved it. And there was a guy who was like, apparently he's famous, Ben Feldman. Billy said that he is famous for, from another show. And then like the following day, I watched Lindsay Lohan in Confessions of a Drama Queen, mm-hmm. and like both of those um, are very similar stories um, uh, about teenage girls, um, and they both have single mums. And both of their uh, male character interests, romantic interests, look kind of very similar. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like dark skin. They kind of look on the border of Latino, Latinx. Um, yes. They're not. You just have they're to not like precisely sprinkle with. Yeah, the they're not precisely white. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like um, both Noah Centario. I think he has an Italian background. Obviously, Jacob Elridi, um has an Italian background, um, and. Uh, I think one of the boys in The Summer I Turned Pretty is also has an Italian background. But what's really mm. interesting I found with Boo Bitch that I really didn't like was that um, the the sort of, you know, the main um, enemy that she has, um, she's always, like, kind of not white. She's uh, some other. So, like, this woman, oh, this girl, okay. um, the, who is, like, the girlfriend of the guy she has a crush on, I forget what her name is, but she's she, always also slightly coloured. Yeah, she's slightly kind of Latinx um, or like just mm. some other. Like she might be Italian or like some other kind of. I'm seeing the trend of this. Yeah, Did and, you and but also even I'm with in, the Rebel Wilson's last, the one that we were talking oh, about. Oh yeah, um, senior years. Yeah, senior years. Yeah, her nemesis was is, like half Asian. Yeah, yeah, she? exactly. And also, isn't it romantic, Jonah? Jonah. One of the Jonah Brothers' wives. Sorry, I don't know her, but she's like a famous Bollywood actress. Um, also like very famous. Priya, what's her name? Priya, 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 something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, she's like a model. Sorry. Yeah, and also like an um, astonishing um, Bollywood actress. Yeah, she's like mm. another. And then like also um, in Confessions of a Teenage Queen, her, the the bitch played by Megan Fox is um her name is Carla Santini. 
So it's like clearly <laughs> she's like, you know, some other, yeah, like uh, Italian, you know, Santini sounds Italian. Mm. Um, but it's just, I was like, what, what is that? What is with that Hollywood casting like the bitch as like another race? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like a boo bitch, um, I, the, one of the reasons I didn't like it, like I said, the guy is not attractive or like charming or charismatic enough. I found that um, also another reason was um, I found her best friend, her best friend, the white woman, the white girl. She was so fucking annoying. Mm. She's so annoying. She's just like, she just, everything, everything about her just makes me want to punch her face. She's so <laughs> freaking annoying. I don't actually, I feel like I've seen that um, actress's face before i feel like i've seen her somewhere else but she's mm-hmm. just so annoying yeah i think that was the main reasons i didn't enjoy the the series it just wasn't funny it's also what just wasn't funny i barely laughed out loud yeah when you told me about it i said i watched the first episode as well and it reminded me of book one oh, book, the movie that book, we watched um, book smart Booksmart, yeah. Why would book Yeah, no, book Kevin, smart, uh, right. Helen kept saying bookworm. <laughs> bookworm. <laughs> but it's Olivia Wilde's Booksmart right, from a book few smart, years ago. Yeah. Which is like a thousand times better. That was a really good movie. Yeah. And yeah. it's, a, it's like, um, boo, boo Bitch is exactly the same premise. Like two kind of um, quote-unquote loser girls who haven't had a date haven't dated, haven't done anything, haven't gone to any parties throughout high school, and they're like... And not being recognised in yeah, high school at yeah, all. Yeah, like, have no identity, um, and they, um, in the last 48 hours of school or something, they want to go off. Have fun. Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so it's exactly the same premise in Boobitch, except you have, like, instead of the white um, female lead, two white female leads, you have, like, uh, a white psychic and then an Asian, an Asian um, lead... But, like, unfortunately, it's not enough for me to keep watching. I just, um, I like La- Lana, Lana Condor. I think her name's mm-hmm. Lana. Yeah, not Lena. I think she's, like, fine. I have no, nothing against her. But, like, uh, it's it's not enough to make me keep watching. Hmm, I see. Yeah, what I about you? I guess the script wasn't good enough. I just, I like the visual image of seeing an Asian character on screen. That's always a, a positive theme. And also, she's not the usual Asian trope yeah. where you have a skinny, long, yeah, that's right. black hair. She's like she's, not petite. I like that she's not yeah, petite. Yeah, she's not petite. Yeah, she's yeah. a bit fuller. Yeah. And she's quite bubbly as well. Yes, She's yes. not obedient. There's one part I quite like in the first episode was that she finally told, she tells her parents that she's going to a party. Yeah. And the parents like, oh, take my money, you know, like yeah. they were, they were so looking they, for they, the they, Asian they parents. Yeah. Well, the dad was, was just thinking. fucking weird. He was like, you girls look hot. And then I was like, what, is he supposed to be a gay dad? <laughs> He's like, no straight dad yeah. is going to do that, you know. That's so fucking inappropriate. Yeah, it's so inappropriate. Also, I don't, I, I, I can never imagine Asian parents are happy for their kids to go uh, out. Yeah. Party. party. Yeah, exactly. And have sex yeah. and drink. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's just something really weird. It's yeah, not a reality, yeah, it's honestly. It's very strange. Um, but like you said, I like Lana Condors and her kind of not mm. being the typical, just, just her. Also, she has just like a fuller figure. Like her face is not small. Like I like that she has a yes. bigger face. Yeah, I really like I that because that. I myself have a big face. So I like that mm. someone like her can yeah. have a lead role. Just a different representation of yeah, the image exactly. of an Asian woman is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anything else to say about that? Um, I, I, I want to quickly... Yeah. <laughs> more quickly... <laughs> Uh, mentioned two things that I also watched this week. Oh, yes. I haven't finished Dropout. I return, we returned to watch a Dropout after a break. Um, but I think Amanda Seyfried is just trying too hard to be in the character right, of Elizabeth right. Holmes. Yeah. I don't feel that the character was cast right well. for her. I don't know. I can't tell if it's a bad acting or the way that Amanda Seyfried portrays Elizabeth Holmes was really what she was like. Yeah. You know, um, just her big eyes and because we watched her work before and now trying to fit into that image of her voice lowering down to play the character of Elizabeth Holmes just doesn't mm. seem right to me. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so I also want to update on what ha- what's happening with Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. Okay. Um, so Is she apparently, in jail? Um, they have been charged. Her ex-partner and also the CEO of Theranos, the Indian Pakistani Bawani Sunny Bawani has been found guilty of 12 charges of fraud and conspiracy so he's going to be facing a potential of 20 years in prison 
while Elizabeth Holmes has been convicted of defrauding investors, but not the patients, which I found utterly unbelievable. Yeah. When, you know, the lies that she been saying about her tech yeah. could have been a lot damage to yeah. people's health. You definitely, know? definitely. Like reporting the false data. So Holmes will be sentenced on in September, whereas Balwani will be sentenced in November. Oh, thanks for the update. So that's an update on Theranos. I, yeah. I know that the whole world like trying to keep up on this kind of update because it is quite an interesting and fascinating story. Oh, yeah. And think, yeah. didn't she have a baby in the yes. last 24 She married months? or she's partner with this hospitality empire's oh. son. Oh, yeah, right. so okay. she is still living the rich life. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, think, yeah. all these people probably won't end up going to jail because they have mm. money. And she's white. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they can get away with anything. Uh, over the last weekend, when we came back from the mountains, uh, my husband and my daughter, we went to see Thor. Oh, yeah, that was extreme because like, we had spent the whole weekend <laughs> together in this one... Um, I mean, it was, I guess, technically a mansion in Katoomba. Um, but but it was, like, very small, as in, like, the space was small. Like, the kitchen yeah. area, there were, like, 12, there were, like, 15 of us, okay? So the whole family went away for my mother's birthday. And um, at, and then, like, on Sunday, um, we went to Haiti and Helen went somewhere else because she didn't want to pay for, like, over absolutely exorbitant, uh, like, ridiculously overpriced Haiti. <laughs> we don't need to, my dogs. Listeners, we don't need to tell you where it is because, wink, wink, you know where it is. You are now yeah, up exactly. on the mountains. With a good you view, know. wink, wink, yeah. Um, um, so, and then, like, um, Sunday afternoon, I get a text from Helen, and there's, like, a picture of them outside of the cinema. Watch, I'm about, I'm about to go see Thor, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, you guys have a lot of energy. I, I was, like, dead by the end of that weekend. But, um, how was it? How was Thor? Uh, it's a typical B-grade Marvel movie with Chris Hemsworth, of course. It's a no-brain, uh, sort of movie. It's quite entertaining and quite fun to watch. But I, I honestly think it's like a waste of Natalie Portman's talent working oh, on definitely. with Hemsworth, oh, honestly. Gross. And uh, with this script as well. I hate the Hemsworth, um, but go on. The special effects, of of course, is magnificent, but that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but I do have to give the credit to Christian Bale, who played the villain. Oh, God. What, is in he the in movie? the movie? Yeah, he's in the movie. He plays the villain called God Butcher. Because with all the special makeup, you couldn't tell into oh. that you seen the credits. Right. Yeah. That's funny. I thought the character, kind of the story, the plot was done a little bit, uh, it's boring. Yeah. But then the, the purpose was interesting because the char- the God Butcher, the villain, supposedly, that is a character who lost faith in God oh, and God started Butcher. hunting down the gods in the universe. Okay. Wow. And I thought that was quite clever. Funny. You know, sort of reflecting on how our current society is moving towards more like an atheist thinking rather than being dominated by religion in the past. Mm. Yeah. I don't so, um, Chris, uh, Christian Bale, um, such a brilliant and versatile actor, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he's, uh, um, he's great. I mean, I wouldn't go so far as to say I'd watch anything he's in, um, but mm. I, 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 he's a tremendous actor. Mm. Very unusual Rise face. Of- yeah, un- <laughs> Patrick Bateman. <laughs> Patrick Bateman. That's the only yes. thing I think about when I think of Christian Bale. Um, I will not. Even if you paid me, I will not see Thor. I don't want. I, I don't know. want my brain to like brain to. You just don't want to see Chris Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, I don't want to see Chris Hemsworth. I don't want to see Natalie Portman being reduced to some. Was she muscular? Muscular? Does she get mm, muscles? Not really. Okay. No. Well, well, for my standard, I don't think she's muscular. Yeah. 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 She's yeah. just her usual use yourself, but I the script was really bad. For yeah, I just don't like the character that they uh, put on her. Yeah, I um read a couple of reviews headline. That's what I mean, mm. really, um about the movie, and um apparently it's pretty bad. Yeah, I think for like moviegoers, for like the ones who will be focusing on more artistic expressions, they wouldn't like this sort of movie. Again, it's like big Hollywood capitalism focused. Yeah kind of movie which I'm, I kind of like I feel a little bit disappointed because it's directed by Tika Watiti oh, yeah. and I've always thought that he started off by making really good very philosophical sort of movie but now he's been sucked into making this Marvel and now his next movie Star Wars it's inevitable just like Chloe you know, Zhao didn't she make a Marvel yeah. movie and now they're making like big buck really no-brainers B-grade <laughs> yeah. action movies yeah yeah speaking I, of Tika Watiti we watched we also watched uh, The Hunt for Wilder People 
with my daughter this week. Yeah. That's that's the sort of movie that I want to see. Yeah. Yeah, it's so sweet. Is that with Sam Neill? Down to Earth. Yeah, down to oh. Yeah, with Sam Neill. It's oh, so it's down so to sweet. Earth. It is so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you watch State of Origin? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> well, I, watch, I watched it just because, you know, you? I've become influenced by people around me, and I don't mind it. Um, it's it's yes. quite funny. We, we, we watched it, and it was, I have to say, it was very thrilling. It was a very thrilling game. Um, okay. Yeah, it was very, very thrilling. Um, I still don't understand the rules, but oh. I watch for the, for the um, sake of, I don't know, Don't say attractive violence. men, because they're not attractive. No, 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 not attractive men. I was going to say violence, but I think oh, it's, it's so a bit bad. too much. It's just it's the gross. impact, I guess. I hate it. I, ha- I actually hate the violence impact of it. Yeah, it's very yeah. like physical, like carnal. Don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But um, I guess when you watch a sports event, you watch for the excitement. Yeah, you know, like yeah. the last two seconds or something. True, like true, that. true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, there are a couple of movies I like. I mentioned State of Origin because while we were watching it free to air mm-hmm. um, we've accidentally online because we don't have KO or Fox <laughs> um, we saw an, an ad and like all the ads are for like bolding or like betting or like BR like just like yeah. the broest dad is kind of tropes. yeah of course uh-huh. um, but we saw an ad for uh, Jordan Peele's latest movie which is coming out oh in August God. and okay. it's called N-O-P-E Nope it's called Nope Okay. Yeah, and uh, I can't wait. And so we're going to go see that when it comes out. And also, um, I'm excited Amazing. about the way the crawdads sing, which is a yes, book. Yes, I yeah, saw the trailer. trailer. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's obviously based on the book by Delia Owens, who is now facing a lot of controversy because apparently she's involved in some murder in Zambia or something. Oh. Um, I haven't read details about it. But um, I read a review of the movie by A.O. Scott from the New York Times, and he didn't really like it. Um, but oh, he doesn't like really anything. Yeah, he doesn't like it. Doesn't no, like doesn't anything. Like anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, uh, two movies um coming up that I'm really excited about. I also want to see The Grey Man, which is starring Ryan Gosling. Um, Ooh, yeah. Okay. Uh, but I'm sick now, so I'll probably be home for the next week. But I'm hoping to visit the cinemas next week when I get better. Okay. Um. So let's take a break, and when we come back this week, we want to. Focus on two topics. Yeah, two, yeah, but the first one. Yeah, two articles based on two articles. <laughs> yeah, the first one is will be about swimming. Yeah, the politics of swimming, racism in the USA. We'll be right back. And now we're back. So Helen. This article that you um, were going to talk about about the politics and race, racial aspects of swimming as a in, as a black person in America. Um, black families were refused to enter swimming pools that were wa- white exclusive, and due to the react- rejections in Yandon, Pennsylvania, black communities started fundraising and opened its very first black-owned private swim club called Nile Swim Club. However, during that time, most of the black people does not know how to swim. And according to the history of slavery, black people were kept away from the water to avoid learning how to swim in case that they want to escape. It was a way to constrain the slave labor by their white masters. Um, I want to kind of divert it away from discussion because something popped up in my mind when I was preparing for this, when I was reading the article. Um, there was something ha- similar happened in Taiwan during the martial law occupation by the KMT. Very, very similar. The method to constrain the citizens um, to stay within the island is that they, um, giving them the what sense happened? of fear not to approach the water. Yeah, the beaches were barricaded to stop the citizens to enter the water. The KMT said it was going to stop the communists from China entering the Taiwan, but it also enacted as a way to keep the Taiwanese citizens fear of the water. And we often grew up, um, probably not you, Jess, because, you know, you moved to Australia very young. I hear a lot of myth about water ghosts dragging people down during the month of July, which is like a traditionally known as a month of the gate uh, of hell Opening. opens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the fear was the best. What's that called in Chinese again? Mandarin? Uh, Gui Yue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the ghost month, yeah. 
Um, so, you know, the fear was used um, as a way to control and manipulate citizens. Totally. And he also had a lot of social ramifications and influence as an island nation. Mm. The government established, you know, this sort of rigorous education system which created an image that the academic and meritocracy was far more important than any other things. And there's the idea of swimming or other leisure activities was considered less important. And you know somehow maybe a lower social status by the majority of the society. So a lot of non-Asian friends often were surprised that Asians or specifically Taiwanese as a an island nation that they do not know how to swim yeah. or capable of swimming in the ocean. Yeah, so that's something um, not really related to what we're talking about today, <laughs> but just pop into my yeah. mind when we're yeah. talking about swimming and the constraint of learning to swim. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, but the Taiwanese situation was like political, whereas like, yes, it was very not, political. It wasn't racial, whereas like in America, it's completely racial. Exactly. Like, black yeah. People, yeah, weren't allowed to go into the swimming pools because it was like mm-hmm. just all white spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even to this day, black children are far more far more likely than white children to report low or no swimming abil- ability, a disparity that underlies other grimmer statistics. Black people. Um, drowned at the rate of 50% higher than that of white people. The drowning of uh, black children aged 10 to 14 is nearly eight times that of white children at the, of the same age. There's even an exhibition in Philadelphia called Pool, A Social History of Segregation, which explained the vicious cycle. So during the 1920s, when... The appetite of ex- exercise facility has taken hold amongst the world of, uh, you know, both men and women. They started swimming together. Um, I think specifically white people, you know, it doesn't say that there's uh, people of color. Um, however, the racial segregation become became the rule enforced by both the law and violence. Apart from racial segregation, swimming as a leisure activity also has its uh, privilege. Not every family can afford swimming suits, swimming trunks, and also swimming lessons. Yeah. So now that black community in Yandan is pushing hard to get every black children, black child to learn to swim, the board of Nile Swim Club started a program called No Child Will Drown in Our Town, which offers 10 days of swimming lessons. And since then, nearly a thousand children went through the program last summer. It says a lot, you know, racially, um, not only the segregation, the law that stops black people to swim, I also feel like there's also, I also feel that there's certain impact because of your skin colour. The question that I want to ask is that, um, do you ever feel uncomfortable or do you feel comfortable when you expose yourself, your skin publicly? You know, especially at the swimming pool or the beach, how confident are you expect exposing your skin? Uh, this is the question that I want to ask our listeners. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, what do you think, head, Jess? Well, I, in my head, that's like very different. It's a very different question mm-hmm. to what this article I think is trying to point at, which is like the history of mm-hmm. um, racism and yeah, the way in which I understand. Um, a whole entire race of people were excluded from this. Um, very vital activity I guess like I was thinking I was thinking off the cuff like um swimming tends to be like I, I was thinking swimming's like tennis it's like a very white sport it's like a very white thing but then I was like no it's not because tennis is not a survival um necessity whereas like swimming is um in the many skill that you, situations life skill it's a very important yeah. life skill that um, a whole mm-hmm. entire race has been denied thanks to white supremacy and um mm. I, I guess uh, there are a lot of things I was thinking about. I was thinking about the story. I don't know where I heard it. Um, it could have been when I was in the uh, when I was in the states of like this young boy in the fifties who like uh, he was adopted by a white family and the white family took him to a to a swimming pool one day um, and uh, and the moment the little boy jumped into the pool, the entire pool of white bodies they got out and then people were like, "Oh, oh you've contaminated the pool." And it's just like the most... Is this very most, recent? No, this is in the 50s. Oh, okay. Yeah, or maybe even <laughs> earlier, I don't remember. But uh-huh. it was just like... Yeah. Most, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> um, it's just the most like... 
astonishingly um, repulsive story I've ever heard, I guess, like just, you know, about white mm. supremacy. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just thought, like, I remember when I heard this story years ago, I was like, um, that boy will probably need therapy for the rest of his life. It's just like, how, how much scarring does that do to uh-huh. a human little boy? Um, and then I thought a lot about um, Moonlight, that movie from 2016, which won Best Picture. Not that it matters because mm. who cares about the Oscars. But, like, um, a scene in the first part of the movie where, like, the uh, older mentor um, kind of teaches the younger younger uh, boy um, protagonist to swim in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's, like, a very tender, gentle, gentle... Um, Gentle scene. interaction between yeah. the and two, it's, uh, it's just yeah, the, two it's, males. Yeah, it's just weighted with so much history. That scene alone, I think it lasted for about five five minutes. But that scene alone just kind of um, captures the overwhelming uh, sort of politics of what it means for mm. black bodies to be in the water and to feel safe. Um, mm-hmm. Not only to feel safe and the fact that they can freely be expose their skin but not not just that but also just like an act of freedom and survival um so i was thinking a lot about that um i think your question can i mean it sounds like it could also sound like um we're talking about a body positivity politics Mm -hmm. but we're not i think we're more Mm. i mean i am personally talking more about just the way in which in an entire race of people have been um actively excluded and denied freedom of the water Mm -hmm. and the not just the joy of water the pleasure of water but the liberty the liberty the freedom Mm -hmm. of what it means to be inside water um and like i have to say even like i'm very i i all of these things i've only thought about in the last few years i remember when i went to america in 2016 and um i was dating very very briefly a black man in new york and like i remember one of the first things I learned about him was that he didn't drive, which I thought was strange. But it wasn't but as everyone stra- in New York. Yeah, nobody drives really drive. in New York. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it wasn't very strange um, because I had friends in the inner west in Sydney who also just don't drive. Doesn't drive. But yeah. uh, it wasn't as strange as when he told me he didn't know how to swim. I remember I was like twenty six or twenty seven when I learned this, and that it was such mm. a shock to me. I was like, how can you not know how to swim? Like it was like. But then I was like, oh, it makes sense because, like, yeah, well, like, in Australia, swimming is so part, much part of our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us live by the coast or at least within proximity of it. Um, and it's so much part of our kind of, like, lifestyle to swim, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's part of the whole rhetoric of freedom and liberty and democracy to be able to enjoy the water and enjoy that mm-hmm. sense of freedom that this, the ocean provides. And the fact that this guy, well, you know, he lived in a, his whole life in Manhattan. He was black. Um, he grew up in, like, um, Queens, and, like, he just, there was no need to swim. There was not, yeah, it was not probably part of no their... access of public pools around. Yeah, I think he said that he's been to Coney Island a few times where I believe there are beaches. I've never actually been to Coney Island. But, like, um, yeah, uh, it was just, like, so shocking for me to meet someone who'd never, who had never learned how to swim. Because, like, I, I guess I it really... It really um, exposed me as a very ignorant person because, like, I, I that I that I had reached my late twenties and didn't know the fact that mm-hmm. for a lot of people in the world, swimming was just not part of their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And they will consider that swimming is a part of privilege. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, back to my question. What I was saying that you know it's the uncomfortableness that you feel of exposing your skin is probably the result of how you know the generation has been denied of learning to swim because you have to take off your clothes when you're swimming and when you are denied of that opportunity to go to swim and I don't know essentially that you're not giving that chance to I don't know expose your skin I guess and then it could be resulting in the way that how you select how uh, your appearance in public. I don't know if it makes sense, but I always feel like um, among, amongst my Asian group of friends, there are people who are uh, my age or maybe older mm. that had always said that, oh, they're not comfortable showing their skin with public. water. Yeah, and oh. they're, not, they're not comfortable with water and not, not comfortable of showing their skin. I think there are a lot of facets of that. Like we're talking about yes, two very different things. 
mm-hmm. like from the article, we're talking about racial politics. Racial. Um, yeah. Now it yeah. sounds like you're talking about like um, Asian Asian bodies in the sun. Are you talking about in the uh, sun or are you talking about in the pool? Because like um, I feel I like, think um, it's both. I feel yeah. like a lot of Asian people just don't expose their just don't do any outdoor activities because like they they don't want um dark skin like they want white skin mm. like yeah. uh, you know that's yeah. a whole other. Issue. That's a whole other issue, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the, uh, after reading this article, it it makes sense for um, sometimes we don't see dark bodies in the swimming pool. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense of how well we know, just Australia. I just generally I have to say um, there are not many dark people in Australia, like black people, brown people. <laughs> well, I don't feel like there's a lot of access for First Nation people to the pool as oh, well. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a thing, you know. If we're talking about discriminations in US against black people, there's certainly a lot of discriminations towards First Nation people in Australia. Mm. Um, just they don't have a lot of access um, to learning how to swim for a lot of Indigenous communities, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Any final what words for that? I wanted to just like... Oh, I think we really need to reflect on how the way that historically how a certain group of people have been treated and what is the result. You know, you're all, almost talking about, I don't think I should use the word genocide, but, you know, when you are denied a certain access of a life skill for a certain group of people, you're essentially blocking them to survive in a certain way. Mm. Yeah. What about you? Oh, there's a lot of things. I feel like um, there's a lot. Like, I feel like I have... I ha- um I can't speak to anything about this topic with much conviction because I haven't done enough research. But I think there are two very different aspects to this. Like, um, what does it mean to swim in the ocean? And also, what does it mean to swim in the swimming mm-hmm. pool? Because I think the swimming pool in itself is quite a institution. It's institutionalised space, yes. recreational space um, mm-hmm. for white people. And that have been ha- that has been systematically organized by white people for white people uh, i think the swimming pool in itself as an institution of recreation is very interesting because like um it's almost like the library like when i think about community buildings and spaces and like you think you know a typical town what does it have post office a uh, bar maybe uh, a post office a bar a school um a library and a swimming pool and a fire station mm-hmm. right um mm-hmm. all those places seem to be places that should be democratic in its access to its citizens um you know anyone can access a library anyone can access a school and yet um the swimming pool is a place that um you can only kind of be enjoyed by people who feel comfortable like you said around Mm -hmm. um, yes uh, around uh, a large body of water that has Mm -hmm. been man-made um that has um the threat of death like you can't actually Mm -hmm. die in uh, the library or but a there's a danger but 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 yeah. in the swimming pool you can actually die if you don't know yeah. how to swim yeah mm-hmm. um so there is like i feel like um because this article that you've selected talks about like black bodies in swimming pools that's the kind of thing i want to just kind of think about i guess in terms of wrapping up our conversation about it just like what it means um that this whole kind of history of um that space has been actively disclu- exclusive, you know, mm-hmm. and um, excluding black bodies. And personally speaking, I mean, I know that um, the swimming pool for me, like, and I'm not a typical Asian kid. Like, I've always loved the sun. Um, mm. I, I am terrible at maths. Like, seriously, <laughs> I'm allergic to numbers. That's how bad I am. Uh, like, I run away from numbers. <laughs> um, and, uh, like, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm kind of very white. And so, um, so swimming pool, like, mum, um, mom, uh, as you guys listeners know, Helen is the black sheep of the family. She didn't go with <laughs> us to a lot of um, family activities while we were growing up. But um, when we were growing up, me and my two siblings, um, not Helen, Helen's the eldest, um, my mum took us, our mum took us to um, the Paramount swimming pool, like, almost every week. Every weekend. Yeah, yeah. honestly. And when she just, sat in the shade and covered yeah, herself. Yeah, she sat in the shade and just, like, waited and watched us. <laughs> While Go we've on. just like played around and swam, and I couldn't do that. I can't understand. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. You, uh, but then, now, like, I would just jump in without my kids. Yeah, I know. It's so great. I love that you have this relationship with the ocean with your daughter. It's so beautiful. Um, but um, I, I have to say, the my favorite smell in the world is still chlorine. 
because okay. it just reminds me of those beautiful moments I shared Moment, with, yeah. with my siblings um, when, when I was like a kid just like playing in the sun in the swimming pool it's just absolutely this chlorine smell makes me deliriously happy mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it's the time that you spend the happiest time yeah. in the childhood nothing has um, been happier I mean uh, yeah uh, probably um, cousins spending time with cousins in Taiwan has trumped that but in mm-hmm. Australia my pre- most happiest moments were always in the swimming pool with my siblings mm. I hope that, that the same goes with my daughter that the happiest time I spent was with my mum at the beach that's sweet <laughs> that's sweet of course she'll say that Okay, so um, our next topic we want to talk about this week, it's something a bit uh, lighter than the politics of yeah, yeah. swimming. <laughs> um, so it's the Time Out Index of 2022, the best cities in the world. Um, the reason that I chose this is because I came across with an article titled that Sydney is the, at the bottom third, indicating one of the worst cities to make yeah. friends. Sydney has been ranked as the third worst city to- in the world for making friends. And when I saw that, I was like, yeah, right on, man. I know. It's impossible to make friends in Sydney. Everyone is so clicky. Mm-hmm. So almost three quarters of respondents said that making new friends was either hard or impossible in Sydney. But there were two other cities that rank even more poorly than here. Yeah, what is it, Helen? Um, coming in second to last was the Danish capital, Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. And the worst, then the world's worst place for making new mates was just next door to Copenhagen, um, the Swedish cover tour, Stockholm. Yeah, not surprised. I mean, they're both um, freezing, so people are Yeah, they're both like freezing. And indoors and shit. People just don't like to interact with other people, I guess, in, in those places. Yeah. From my, what, what I heard from my friends who visit those places is yeah. in, people just don't interact or they keep their distance. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, I grew up in Sydney, and I um, I st- I still feel like people are quite mm. um, uh, precious about keeping their friendship groups like um, exclusive. Oh yeah, I hate that. Uh-huh. I think it's really repulsive. I like people who are friendly and like generous with their time, but I feel like um, people in Sydney tend to be just like kept their friends since high school or uni and then don't let anyone else yeah I see that a lot as well yeah it's harder to make friends once you get to a certain age oh definitely yeah you know after school it's just very hard and especially when you started to um, encounter different values yeah, in your absolutely. life or you're reached a different stage of your life yeah. like your old friends will probably hasn't reached that stage of the life or they've moved on to um, I don't know if this sounds bad or <laughs> they move on to like a religious oh, pathway right, right. <laughs> or other very different values and you just don't have commonalities to you know the yeah, reason to I, get together I guess I personally have a very unusual trajectory I guess compared to the average person um, mm. I, I'm thinking in my head the average person their closest friends are probably people they've met at high school or university I mm. don't have a single friend I still um, no that's not true one a co- um, person I see a friend of mine from high school who I see maybe once a year but all of my closest friends have been people I've met in the last I'd say five to ten years like during my 20s mm-hmm. um I'm like absolutely like um absolutely excruciatingly close friends like um, soulmates um I have mm-hmm. so I'm so lucky that I have them but like um not to sound like a snob or anything although I'm inevitably going to come across as one I I didn't meet any legends in high school or university like people in high school were just like lamos like mm. I like the, like nobody in high school inspired me or wanted like no I feel like nobody in high school the people I went to high school with and this is mm-hmm. definitely going to make me sound snobbish um I didn't feel like anyone aspired to be anyone like nobody f- I felt like nobody I spent high school with wanted to change the world like they weren't angry they were just kind of like people who went off to have kids a few years after graduation Mm. and like stayed in the suburbs and then at university I went to um, I studied music education I was in a class of 30 kids and I was the only single person who was not a Christian like like a deeply deeply oh my god really yeah I'm not kidding I don't know what's with music education and friggin Christians but Uh um yeah it's 
like it was wow. just such a deeply religious cohort that I was with so mm-hmm. I didn't keep any friends at university yeah. and like that's not your group <laughs> yeah and then the, my fa- my one of my best friends um I met when I was like 24 and then after that um one friend I met who I'm the, like closest friends with um I met at 27 another one I met Billy when I was like 28 29 like you know just all in the last mm. few years um and then you know my partner who's one of my closest friends um I w- yeah like just you know I I, I, maybe it's because like I don't know I didn't find myself until later in life that mm. I've like found my people it's just like I don't know about you Helen like, like, where have your friends been mostly found in your life yeah I haven't kept in touch with all my high school friends except for maybe like few interactions on Facebook and that's it um, most of my close friends are most of my closest friends are met throughout my 20s, mm. like you, I guess. Yeah, but I think that's because I was going through uh, the stage of... I, well, I was beginning to go through the stage of motherhood, and mm. that's mm. how I got um, a bit of interaction with other mothers. But even through, you know, the interaction of being a mother you know you can find the differences between people as well so not every mother's you want to interact with them because you have different values 99% you don't I'm just like it's very hard I'm just like dreading the moment I join a mother's group I'll just be looking for someone who actually reads books anyone who reads books here I'll be friends with you Uh, and also um, I have a couple of friends who are childless which which is nice because we because when you get to, if you, you know, the friends who are mothers, they end up talking about their kids. Yeah. And you, you don't want to talk about kids constantly. Yeah. Like, sometimes, you know, a bit of kids stuff, it's fine. But then you don't, you know, the focus is myself. I want to yeah, talk totally. about what we did, what we read, yeah. with the current affairs, what do you think of this social yeah. shittiness, you know. Um, yeah. So that's, that's me. But um, I don't have a lot of friends. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. You have heaps of friends. But my, my closest friend, like um, on the soul level, my two best friends, I would consider my two best friends, they're all overseas. Right, right. Like we don't interact hugely. Like um, the concept of friendship is very different to me, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like I will write a long letter to my friend who's overseas and we interact like once or twice during the year and that's it. Mm. But I feel like they are closer to me than the friends that I see on yeah, monthly basis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I love that. I feel like I have a bit of both, but um, my favourite people are the... It really depends on mm. the time I spend with them. So, obviously, my best friend currently is my partner because I live with him. But, mm-hmm. like, um, I had a friend who I... Probably close to my best friend. She moved to New Zealand earlier this year. So I mm. like maybe I don't see her as much anymore. So like my my, um, my second best friend Billy has moved up to like best friend because I see him like so many times. A week. <laughs> so it's like for me, it's like how many times yeah. do I see someone is in conjunction it, uh, is aligned to like how much I rate them in my friend category. You know, mm. it's like how often I see them because um, mm. I really like that one on one relationship, like that contact yeah. that means a lot to me. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think. Um, yeah, just I can I guess like this can we can risk turning this episode of the podcast into one about friendship. I kind of just want to stick back, <laughs> go back, return to the, the main article, and like what it says about Sydney. You know what it says about Sydney mm. being like the third world, third worst place to make friends. Um, it just means that um, um, when you don't, I think this is just a generalization, but I think. Um, in Sydney, people tend to have... And also, can I just say, this is a timeout essay. I mean, sorry, a timeout survey. So people who read timeout tend to be kind of people with money or disposable income. Yeah. Just like monocle uh, readers, um, you know, that mm-hmm. magazine, Fancy Magazine, who also rated um, cities um, in their latest issue. Uh, and I think um, some Scandinavian country came up number one, Copenhagen. Um, so it's interesting that... The same people who rate a country in terms of uh, wealth and happiness are also the same who end up people saying, oh, it's hard to make friends. I think there's some correlation between <laughs> wealth and being able to access um, a lot of people, I guess. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, 
I feel yeah. like um because Sydney tends to be so rich people I'm just thinking like people who live in the eastern suburbs and have mm. a, an exorbitant amount of disposable income um, they're very well I think the more money you have the more you think um, I get to curate my surroundings and the more yeah, you, of course the more you are set in your ways and you the more you think okay I only want to spend time with X Y and Z mm-hmm. so like you kind of close off certain your, conditions yeah and you yeah. close off your your kind of friendship group and your you close off the space in which you interact with people and you become more mm. exclusive because, like, you're like, yes. oh, I don't want to be in any kind of uncomfortable zone. You don't want to be put in any situation yes. where... Yes, they only want to make friends who graduated from, from private Knox. schools. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scots. Um, yeah, like, there's some correlation between um, mm. money and the more money you have, the more you're like, oh, I'm going to set my boundaries and I don't want to hang out with Jason and Chris today. Kind of like, kind of like that, you know? Um, and people are not as... Yeah, I think there's definitely a correlation. Mm. And they're all stuck within, you know, the certain cohort of people, probably most likely that the people that they grew up with. Yeah, totally. And then, you know, they stick with that because they don't want to be put into an uncomfortable situation where they have to discuss about social inequalities with us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I found it quite interesting that I don't know why this um, the index list 53 this year and it's so funny that the best cities um, first 10 will be like European cities and you only see Mumbai coming on 12 uh-huh, I think uh-huh. you mean best in terms yeah. of what I don't know I don't even know what they yeah the standards or something like that I don't know they don't even really list out but I found it interesting that um, Mumbai is actually ahead of Taipei. Taipei is the only North, um, a- I don't know if it's North, but East Asian yeah. city that has made it into the top 20. Right, interesting. I think yeah. in well, Monaco, Mumbai is, yeah, Mumbai is kind of subcontinent. Yeah, but. in Monaco, the, um, I think um, Taipei came up number 8 or to- number 12. Oh, I forget. okay. I-, I-, yeah. I guess I could get the magazine right now. It's in my room. But, but then um, also Taipei is a city that's full of European expats. Yeah, well. and can I say in Taipei it's easy to make friends. <laughs> Definitely. It. Taipei is great. People are so <laughs> there's so many expats there who are just so um friendly and mm. like open. Yeah. Like I think um And it tells it also shows that the reason that they chose Taipei this certain values and things. Oh yeah, and also um yeah. can can and I know we we might be going out of time, but is there a correlation between kind of like you know, and we're in, in Asian culture mm-hmm. and we share our food. It's just such a normal thing to share food. Mm-hmm. And like, um, you know, you go to Shao Tai, you know, you go to like those... The um, side dishes. Side dish, you know, you go to these like um, restaurants in Taipei or in Taiwan where it's just like they only serve small dishes and they, they serve mm-hmm. about 20 of them. And the idea is that you share it with, amongst a large group of people. Yeah. It's so like yeah. so different to the kind of exclusive white French restaurant or Australian modern cuisine where like you'd order your own dish and you have your own mm-hmm. dish and like you yeah. don't share maybe that's got something to do with it as well because I remember a few like in 2019 when I went to Thai, Taiwan to a research for a piece um, uh, I was working on um, mm-hmm. on the first night um, I got invited to um, dinner with the New York Times uh, bureau chief there a journalist and he was mm-hmm. so friendly he was originally from Kentucky, I think, and he, um, he, we were just gonna meet, like me and him, just have a friendly dinner, and then he was like, "Oh, actually, a, a couple of friends might be joining us," and it turned into like a fifteen people gathering banquet around, yeah, around this like, um, I don't know what's called, uh, like a restaurant that's um something chow 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 something. Um, le chow. Yeah, le chow. Le chow. Hot stir fry. Yeah, exactly. Like a seafood. Yeah, it's like sort of yeah restaurant. And then yeah. from that evening, I met like five other people who like we ended up having one on one engagements and conversations. Oh, that's and, nice. Because yeah, all of them are so friendly. They're just like not exclusive at all. Because I think it's an expat city, you know, uh, mm-hmm. meaning a lot of expats, and so a lot of people are trying to find their own community. And like um, mm-hmm. Sydney, I feel like is not a very expat friendly city. Like most people no, it's here never was and never yeah, is. Every, most people here have been set in their ways because they grew up here they're not mm. like kind of finding their way through life like yeah it's maybe that's that's got something to do with it as well mm. what do you think absolutely 
I think the same as well because if you look at Taipei, people work there. The expat work there will probably chose for the sense of liberty, I guess, compared to other Asian countries. I think that's how I feel. And also, you see the differences between the expats that lives in Taipei. And also compared to the ones who lived in Southeast Asia, uh, uh. for example, in cities like Vietnam, even Singapore or Kuala Lumpur, because Southeast Asia they have oh, this is gonna sound bad, but it's the fact that they have cheaper labors there. Mm. So whereas a lot of expats that living in a lot of Southeast and Asian um, cities, they will have nannies, uh. um, cooks, servants. It says a lot about their choices of lifestyle. Yeah. Whereas that doesn't happen so frequently in Taipei. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know? yeah. So that's how I feel. And and also, listeners, like uh, DM us and tell us um, what you think about Sydney. If you have been Sydney, to, <laughs> or live in Sydney, or or like uh, outside observer. Yeah, the comparison of your you of know, your city, yeah, of your city, yeah. Um, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple, and give us a five star rating. If you would like to support us, what we do here at Asian Bitches Down Under, head to our Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. Um, so that's it for from us this week. Stay tuned uh, for our next episode <laughs> next week. Um, and in the meantime, be safe and don't get cold. Don't get tonsillitis. <laughs> Okay, take care everyone. Bye. Bye.